Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Story Slam podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories recorded at our live events in Bristol, UK. All the stories you're going to hear are true and come straight from our audience. We release episodes every Thursday where you'll get to hear the next part of our recorded show. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. So please stay tuned till the end for more information on how you can do that. Make sure that you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. And other than that, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another Story Slam podcast. You're here with us for part three of Risks, and it is episode number 42 of the podcast. Now, this week, we've actually had a great message from one of our listeners across the world, from a listener based in Canada. And it says, I'm from Bristol, born and raised. I emigrated to Canada five years ago, and I'm always craving Briticisms and set optimism, let alone Bristolianisms. I download all the storytelling podcasts I can get my hands on, Porchlight, The Stoop, another Australian one of my faves, but it's never the same when you have no idea of the setting of the story. So finding a Bristol Story Slam podcast was a godsend. Thank you, thank you. Please keep feeding my nostalgic addiction, Sophie, from Alberta, Canada. And thanks very much for your message, Sophie. It's great to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. Again, if anyone out there is listening from anywhere in the world and just wants to send us a message, you can do so via either our website or our email address, which is at the end of the show. But enough of my voice, let's hear some stories. So here we are with part three of Risks. Hello everybody and welcome back to the second half of Story Slam! Hello! Do you feel refreshed? Did anyone go and enjoy the breeze upstairs? Did anyone go to the loo? Yeah, good on you. Yeah, me too. There's nothing funny about not going. Um... (laughs) If I briefly recap the rules, just in case anyone wasn't here, um, if you sneakily came in in the interval somehow, um, your stories, if you put your name in, it's got to be five minutes or less, and then after five minutes you hear this sound. Ta-da, you've moved, congrats. Um, And then you have, after that, a one-minute grace period where you just need to wrap up and you'll hear this. Ta-da! And then it's going time to go and rest your little bottom and sit back down again. And then that's how things go. And before I pull out another name from the hat, we'll hear a story based on someone's risk. Getting across the... Getting across the Vans Viennes in Laos after dark in our rubber rings. We got across, but I lost my flip-flop singular in the muddy riverbank. <laughs> oh, cheeky cheeky. <laughs> um. I'll give this a little shuffle. This is packed, you guys. You're so loyal. <laughs> and the name is... Ta-da-da! Alex A. <laughs> and there's no content warnings. I'll just do one teeny tiny one-line story. My primary school thought it was okay to take the risk of having nine-year-olds cleaning up an old, unused rail track. (laughs) That's not normally what they do at school. Um, It's all okay, because they had a sign for us to give them when we found... It's all okay, because they had a sign for us to give them when we found heroin needles. (laughs) 
I hope you had, you know, the, the right PPE and stuff, the right gloves and everything. We ended up mostly finding the new class pet, a very cute turtle. <laughs> wow, what a roller coaster. <laughs> That's so gorgeous. Oh, just don't do heroin. Just <laughs> get a turtle. Make sure you're writing all this down. Okay. Um, shall we give a huge round of applause to Alex? Um, this is my first time doing this, so go easy. Um, um, this story's about a time I fell for a girl, a woman who was 20, well, 32 while I was 22, so she was 10 years older than me. And um, <laughs> um, so we were both living in the United Arab Emirates at the time, and uh, we met at uh, we met at an exhibition. We both worked as freelance freelancers, and we just got on straight away. You know, and you just meet someone, and it's just like. She was super clever and like intelligent and funny. And like, it just clicked like straight away. It was amazing. She lived just around the corner from me and we um, kind of quickly fell into this routine of going for coffee every night and like going on trips together and like exploring different parts of the country. And it was super fun, like just really, you know, great. But I was really into her and I was like, I just don't know how to approach this because she's a really close friend and like it just, the longer it went on, the more it felt like, ah, oh, crap. Like, all my friends were like, don't do it, man. You don't want to ruin a friendship. And I was like, yeah, but I'm really, I can't not, you know? Um, so the longer this went on, the kind of, you know, the harder it became to sort of tell her that I, I kind of had feelings for her. Um, but I kind of, at the same time, kept feeling like there were signs that she had feelings too. Like, I'm not a very funny dude, and she would laugh at my jokes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and she was like, there were moments, you know, where I felt like, oh, this could be a thing. Um, so, but like, you know, seven or eight months in, I was like, okay, fuck it, I have to, I have to say something, but I don't, know, I don't know how to do it. So we, we went on quite a few trips together, um, and, 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 and we had this trip to Beirut planned, and I, um, and I was like, I, you know, this is it, we've got to do something. Like, I've I, I got to come home from Beirut having told her how I feel, like, whichever way it goes. Um, and so we went, we went to Beirut and we had this amazing time and we kind of, we turned up at the hotel and it was that classic, like, I feel like this is in, in a lot of movies where you show up and you've booked two separate beds and then you turn up and it was just a double bed. And I was like, oh, it's cool. I'll like just go down to the hotel lobby and we can change it. And she was like, no, you don't need to do that. That's fine. And I was like, mm, okay, I can't assume anything here, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and I remember that first night in Beirut, it was kind of late and we, 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 didn't, we didn't want to go out, so we, we got some beers and we watched a movie in the hotel. We watched Blackfish, I remember that. And uh, it, I just remember it feeling super intimate and we were like cuddled up on the bed and I was like, fuck, okay, this has to... Anyway, all right. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I don't want to assume anything because that's... Um, as you can tell, I'm quite on edge with this kind of stuff, you know? I'm not really, like, super comfortable. Um, and so we had this amazing di five days in Beirut. It was lovely. Um, and at the end of it, the whole time I was trying to muster the courage to say something, and I didn't. And then at the very end, we were eating dinner at this, like, amazing restaurant, like, overlooking the Beirut skyline. It's just beautiful. And I was like, if I don't say something now, then I'm never going to say something. Um, and so it got to the end of the meal, and the, the waiter's kind of delivering the tip, and I'm just like, my hands are sweating, and I was like, uh, Anna, um, do you do, do you ever feel like this could be more than uh, do you ever feel like this could be more than a friendship? And she was like, No. 
She's Danish and she's super blunt and she was just like, no. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, okay. Um, and she let me down gently, she was lovely. She was just like, you know, if I was 10 years younger then maybe it would have worked out, but um, it's not happening. And she had to get a flight home that evening. I was staying on, I don't remember why, I was staying in Beirut for a few extra days and um, she got a flight home that evening and I remember like I, that's like, I went back to the hotel room and I cried. And, um, <laughs> and on the flight home I remember crying and there was this lovely Lebanese woman next to me who had her kid and she like handed me a tissue on the plane. <laughs> And, I, I, and, and then I got back home and I remember telling my friends about it and I got really upset any time I told someone, but it, 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 it turned into an amazing friendship after that. Like I took, I guess, like I didn't think it would, but we, you know, I didn't see her for two weeks and then after that we had this brilliant friendship and I kind of think that I try and apply that logic to any time I have to take a risk now is like, well, if I'd have never have told her, I've, I'd have never have found out. And I'm just glad that I went through with that risk of telling her how I felt, even if it went to shit. Thank you. <laughs> that was so nice. I'm so glad you told that. I didn't think it was gonna, I thought you were, she was gonna be swayed. <laughs> 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 days but oh um but yeah it sounds like you handled it really well because sometimes someone's great and you don't fancy them it just happens um <laughs> um so well done um, and big round of applause lovely our next storyteller is kieran Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll treat us right, Karen. <laughs> um, but, and just, there's no content warning, so I'll just do one of these in the meantime. Every time I hitchhike, there is a bit of a risk. But so far, I've always met lovely people. I went on holiday with my sister the other week, and we um, drove, we were in Iceland, and we rented a car. Um, and we drove past a hitchhiker, and I'm like, should we do it, should we do it? And she's like, no, no. And I'm like, no, come on, it'll be fun, live in the now. And <laughs> I'm driving, so we stopped. <laughs> um, and we got them in, and my sister, I can't believe she said no, because she's the biggest extrovert there is, and she just kept chatting, chatting, chatting about her life, chat, chat, chat. And then every time after that, we saw a hitchhiker, she said, can we, can we? Oh, please, I want more friends. Oh. Um, and we did, yeah. And then by the end of the week, I had to pull her away and say, no, that's enough friends for you. <laughs> if you meet any more, you know, French guys in this car, you're, you know, this is sister time. Do you remember that, everyone? <laughs> uh, and then... Our next storyteller was Kieran, wasn't it? Let's give you a big round of applause, Kieran! Thank you. Um, the first risk I took was yesterday when I shaved off my really nice beard and did this, and now I'm standing in front of a crowd showing it off to everybody. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend's really pleased in the background there. Um, Okay, so my first time as well. I really like the idea of the story slam and I like that it makes me uncomfortable to get out here and try this. Um, but I'm gonna tell you a story about 
a risk I took that in a very indirect way led me to where I am today. Um, you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not from around here. Um, I come from northern Canada, close to Alaska, a place called the Yukon. And if you sort of flash back to six, seven years ago, I was working as a biologist for the Yukon government and more or less pleased with the job that I had, um, but not completely satisfied. Um, like lots of people, I had done plenty of school to get myself to that point, had a decent job, was kind of coasting along with it, and that was all right. Um, not related to that at all, one day I decided to uh, tell my boss that I was leaving work early because I wasn't feeling well, which was a blatant lie. Instead, I was going out to meet my friends and go mountain biking, and, um, which was great. We went out mountain biking, and there's this lovely trail in the town that I lived in that was quite technical, very challenging, downhill, sort of extreme sport sort of thing. And uh, I'd ridden this trail many, many times, and every time I had done this trail, I crashed at one particular spot, always. It was a really sketchy spot, really dif technical, difficult, and I would always crash, and I would tumble, and I'd pick myself up bruised and scraped and be like, okay, I'm going to nail that the next time. And uh, sure enough, that day was the next time, and I decided to go for it. I was going to commit myself fully to this. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I was going to hit the spot with lots of speed and ride out of it, and it would be great. And I did. I got through it. It was basically like a um, three or four meter almost vertical drop that you sort of had to basically fall down and then you got shot out like a catapult. And, uh, and I would always fall at the top of that and this time it worked. I kind of got through the really, really hard part and I came out and it spit, spat me out like a bullet. And I thought, wow, that's great. I did it. But I was going so fast that as my bike was going along, it dropped over another route and somehow my front wheel just hit a rock and it we called it taco the wheel, basically the wheel folded in half and that locked up the front of the bike and I went head first into the ground really, really hard um, at very high speed. Of course, I jumped up right away. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm fine, fine, fine. I wasn't fine. Um, <laughs> my friends were there and they're like, are you sure you're fine? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm gonna walk out and they're like, are you sure? And eventually, foolishly, my friends all listened to me and they're like, yeah, he says he's fine. Um, we'll finish the bike uh, or the trail and we'll come around and pick you up later with a pickup truck because at that point I couldn't ride my bike. Um, luckily one friend decided to go with me because she was a little bit concerned and uh, sure enough on the walk out my whole body started like folding and like all the muscles were spasming and I wasn't able to walk properly anymore and I was like okay maybe I'm not that fine. Um, and uh, through sort of a roundabout way I kind of shuffled my way out of the forest to this dirt road and waited for a pickup from my friends. And they came, found me sitting on the road with my friend who was watching over me. And they're like, okay, we should probably take you to the hospital and check you, check you out. And I was like, yeah, it's probably all right. Um, so they took me down to the hospital and I, at that point, had sort of fashioned this like homemade neck brace because I was like, yeah, something's a little bit wrong. And I was sort of walking, shuffled over like this because my, all my muscles were spasmed and tight. And I sort of shuffled into the emergency room of the hospital like that with this improvised neck brace, told them what had happened. They're like, yeah, you stand there. We're going to get a stretcher and put you on a spinal board. And I was like, really? Is that necessary? And yeah, yeah, sure enough, they did. And of course, they wheeled me in, x-rays, and they're like, yeah, your C5 vertebra, it's like shattered into a whole bunch of pieces. Um, you know, really bad spinal injury. And I was like, what? No, that can't be. And then, of course, like I started freaking out. And the next thing I know, this is, so the Yukon in northern Canada is a very small place. It's mostly wilderness and mountains. We have decent hospitals, but not the sort of neurosurgeons you need to fix this sort of thing. So the next thing I know, they're putting me in an ambulance and sending me up to the airport, and then they're putting me on a medevac plane, and they're flying me down to Vancouver, and it's like a four-hour flight through the middle of the night, and they wrap me in this like bubble wrap thing that they've inflated, and they strap me all down, and they're pumping me full of morphine, which is really fun. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting on the plane, despite being sort of euphoric and high on the morphine, I'm having that moment where I realize, 
fuck. But not like just like a normal fuck, like like right to the bottom of your soul fuck where you're like, no, this is it. Like <laughs> I've completely destroyed my neck. Like I'm you know, they were they were throwing around the word quadriplegic and people were like, Yeah, you might never walk again, you might never move again properly and I was like you know, I was a very active guy. I did a lot of these extreme sports, mountain biking and climbing and paddling and skiing, and it was like, that was a big part of my identity. And there I was in this plane being like, no, that's it. I'm done. Completely game over. Um, and uh, yeah, they got me down to, the air, to, uh, to Vancouver, and they put me in another ambulance, brought me to the hospital, and you know, I met with lots of doctors. And uh, they got me in for surgery, and they fixed my neck. And by some miracle, I was OK. Um, and uh, shortly, after that surgery, when I'd been released from the hospital and I was convalescing, I had two months of, of convalescing, you know, I was kind of reflecting on life as you do after a moment like this, of wondering, you know, what am, what am I doing? Am I really pleased with where I, where I am right now? And I got a phone call during that period with somebody offering me a job to do what I'd always wanted to do and I had only been dabbling in at that point, which was wildlife cinematography. And they said, hey, do you want to come do this job with us? And, and we can offer you like a two-year long job and you can be a camera assistant and work with us. And, I was like, you know, fuck it. <laughs> like, you know, I spent 10 years learning to be the biologist, but I was like, this is kind of what I want to do. And after this whole thing that just happened to me, I was like, I may as well just go for it. So I did. I took that job. I quit my job as a biologist. And uh, through all sorts of random twists and turns, you know, I've ended up leaving there. I now live in Bristol. I'm working in wildlife documentary film. And I've got this job that I really love. And it was all because of a risk that I took with unintended consequences um, that brought me to where I am today, I guess, which is good. having a big spinal injury. That's, oh, well done for making it out. You look fine now, just walking everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, that's maybe a glimmer of hope if you ever think you're having a really shit time that maybe it'll end up with you reassessing things like you did and now having a job that you love. That's really fun. Well done. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Charlie. And there's no content warning, so I'll just read this before you come up, Charlie. The biggest risk I ever took was saving someone's life while risking mine. I've not done that. Okay. A boat capsized and they became trapped under their inverted boat. I swam underneath and cut them free from the rope, entangling them. I nearly drowned myself. I heard from the person two years ago and they are now a doctor. Aww. Wow. <laughs> wow, I'm trying to think what I've done. <laughs> um, I also swim. <laughs> Not been on a boat for a while. <laughs> but well done. <laughs> Next up, let's give a huge round of applause to Charlie. So my first time telling a story at Story Slam, so I'm a bit nervous, weirdly. But um, 
So it's quite a recent story, um, all in the last few weeks, and there's a couple of risks uh, that I took. So uh, I was at a similar event to something like this a few weeks ago, and this guy told a really cool story, and I was like, oh, he's really funny. And uh, a couple of nights later, I was at a comedy event, and uh, I bumped into this guy that told a story, and I was like, oh, your story was great, and we got chatting. And, um, and the subject went on to Glastonbury, and I was like, ah. Oh. It hurts me so much that I don't have a ticket for Glastonbury, but I really, really want to go. And he was like, well, that's funny, because I've got a friend that's got a ticket that looks kind of similar to you. And I was like, brilliant, I'm in. <laughs> so I phoned this girl, I'm like, I definitely need to have your ticket. And, uh, and she's like, okay, let me send a photo of myself to you so we can see if we look kind of similar. So we, we look kind of similar, we both had dark hair. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, definitely, I'll take the ticket, I'm in, right. So I've got my ticket and I'm brilliant. So in, in unison with this, um, I've been hanging out with a guy that I work with. We sometimes have been having sex, uh, drunk, and I'm not really sure what I'm doing or if I like him, but I love him in a friend way and I, I just don't really know what's going on. So um, I'm like, yes, I've got my Glastonbury ticket. Everything is amazing. And he's like, perfect. So we go out one night and um, we've been drinking a lot. And he says, well, I've got a week booked off after Glastonbury, let's go on holiday. And I'm like, yes, we shall. So we booked the tickets there and then to Morocco, of all places, right? Perfect, amazing. So I'm like, brilliant. So I then have to go to work the next day and be like, hi, boss. Um, I need to take some time off to go to Glastonbury and Morocco with not my colleague, my friend that I lied about, obviously, because we work together. So boss is like, okay, fine. So Glastonbury's coming and I'm like, shit, I don't have a tent. Um, what am I doing? I'm like, ah, it's all got a bit hectic. And this friend I work with is like, don't worry. Uh, one of my friends runs Camp Light at Glastonbury. They'll put us a tent up. Everything's gonna be fine. So perfect. So we, we drive to Glastonbury on the day and I put my unicorn horns on and I'm like, the world is gonna be okay. I've got this ticket. I can't remember the address on it because I'm so nervous, so I write it down in acronyms on my hand so that when the woman asks me what my address is, I'm like, I know what it is. And we trundle up to the, to the gates, and the guy at security makes me sit on the table while he goes through every item in my backpack, every pair of pants, like literally everything. And I'm like, this is not helping. I still haven't got through the ticket gate. So anyway, I, I, I go through security, fine, and I get to the ticket gate, and I'm like, oh God, what have I done? This is terrible, what have I done? The, she doesn't look anything like me. So I, ba I, I bounce up to the lady, and I'm like, hello, my name's Kat, and I'm a unicorn. And she's like, oh, hello, Kat. Uh, this photo doesn't really look that similar to you. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she says, have you got any other ID? And I think, Perfect, I've, I've planned ahead here. So I did not pack any other ID. I've got one bank card on it that doesn't have my name on it. It was signed, but luckily she didn't turn it over. So she's like, it, it, you know, the face in this picture is a lot longer than your face. And I was like, babe, I've put a lot of weight on over the last couple of years, okay? I, I, I know the cheeks have got bigger. And I was like, this, the same thing happened to me last year. I should have changed the photo. And she's like, listen, I'm really sorry. On you go. <laughs>
So I'm like, right, I'm in fucking Glastonbury. This is the best day ever. I'm still a unicorn. So we get to the tent and it's a pre-made tent and it's got an airbed in it. It's right by the park stage. And then my friend turns around and puts a, a block nine band on my arm. I don't even know what that is. Some of you might know what it is. It gets you into all these really cool bars that you never used to go to as a normal Glastonbury person. And, uh, and I have a magical, magical five days, M like magical. Um, I lose my phone on the second day, but well, I don't really lose my phone. I put my phone down and I don't pick it back up again. And then, and, and then I realize I've done this, but I'm like, mm, it's fine, the universe has got me, I'm good. I don't even need a phone. So uh, I, off I trot without my phone. And the next morning I wake up and I'm like, shit, I don't have a phone. And I'm at Glastonbury and I'm small and I get lost really easily. <laughs> Oh dear, uh, but it's gone, so that's fine. So Glastonbury is over, we wake up on the Monday morning, we trudge ourselves, still as a unicorn, back to the car, and we drive to, I drive to Gatwick. It was a very risky journey. I felt like I was in a PlayStation game at, at times. And uh, we get to Gatwick and we get on the plane and fine, and we've got some Bloody Marys, and I'm still thinking, I really don't know what I'm doing with this friend who I sometimes sleep with that I've just had a magical five days at Glastonbury with. So we get to Morocco and it's this amazing hotel and it's a beautiful room and it's romantic and magical and, and I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having a nice time. And about day three, I'm really missing the outside world. So I'm like, oh, I really would like to use your phone so that I could maybe just ring my mum. And he's a bit sketchy about me using the phone. And I'm like, well, whatever. So I, I use the phone and, uh, and then I go on Facebook. And I notice that my friend has posted some photos of him with a random girl we met surfing, selfies. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Anyway, so. Whatever, I go back and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, what, what are these photos all about? And he's like, well, you see, the thing is, um, you know, I, I, I had been seeing this girl and uh, it turns out I posted this photo and she got jealous and now she's in love with me. And I'm like, oh, good, <laughs> yeah, really good. Okay, perfect. And then I wake up the next day and there's liquid coming out of both ends. And he, I have a stomach bug and he is jumping around like Tigger in love with somebody else. Yeah, so that's the story. But I, what I learned was, uh, sorry, uh, what I learned was risks are absolutely awesome and I would definitely take them again and yeah. <laughs> There were some ups and downs there. <laughs> um, but we will always accept you here, no matter how many stomach bugs or vomiting there is. <laughs> um, yeah, did you see Craig David at Glastonbury? I did, yeah. We did, did you? Power hour beforehand, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a top lad. <laughs> back, oh, well done, back in the day, it was my music. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> should we have one of these? One line story, yeah. I took a risk once, chasing after a, a log down a river while canoeing. Oh my God, no, it gets really bad. Turned out to be a dead body. Oh. Haven't been canoeing since. <laughs> but maybe this is the summer. <laughs> Exclamation mark. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know what to say. That's just horrible. I'm hoping it was... Um, I'm not going to say anything, that's just really horrible. <laughs> it's really sad. 
Um, oh. Don't go canoeing. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm still on it in my mind. Um, I'm trying to think of other sports where you feel running in a park is normally fine, isn't it? Um, oh, God. Well, there's ups and downs. And that is the end of our show for today. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in next week for more true stories told live on stage. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at speakeasystoryslam at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook where you can get more news about the slam, but also see photos from the event. Um, Also, if you'd like to tell us a story in person, then please come join us for our live events. They are every third Sunday of the month at the Wardrobe Theatre in Bristol, UK. We can't wait to see you. So from everyone here at Story Slam, have a great week.